So I want to welcome everyone uh, who's here this morning. We had a great uh, eight, uh, nine o'clock service, and uh, uh, welcome all of you who are joining us online or for replay. Um, we hope that uh, we really experience the goodness and the presence of God uh, in a unique way, and you'll be encouraged uh, this morning. I get to share this morning about one of the closest messages on my heart, which is hosting God. That the number one desire of the creator of the universe is to be with us. That God did not save you only so that you would stop doing stupid things. God didn't save you only to give you eternal life somewhere out in the great galaxy. But God saved us because he wanted his family back. He wanted to be with us. And if you're like me, sometimes I don't feel like being with myself. But we have to get past that through the grace of God and realize the maker of all things, the high and holy one, the perfect one, the number one thing he desires is simply to be with us. Hosting the presence of God. So the Apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 2. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're not wandering out there as orphans. You're not alone. You're not without a homeland and a home. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. God is pulling his family together, and you're a part of it. And if you think of God only as a mean second-grade teacher with a big ruler waiting to wrap your knuckles, or as that critical parent who can never be satisfied no matter how hard you try, or that judge who's willing to throw the entire book at you for everything you've ever done wrong and may do wrong, you'll never understand the great heart of your father. Because basically, what we know is that For the God of the universe, he's our father, and Papa wants his kids around him. Jesus, the son, wants many other brothers and sisters brought to glory to be with him. Because God is establishing his household. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The apostles and the prophets are not building their own house, but they're serving underneath his. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, that's you and me, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You know, particularly here at the garden, God has recently joined us together in a new way. And it's exciting, it's wonderful, It's terrifying, it's all of the above. But he's joined us together in this unique opportunity to build us together. But what he is building is the temple of God, a place for him to dwell. Because the number one desire of his heart is not to change your behavior, is not for you to serve him like a slave, but for you to be a son and daughter who loves being in Papa's presence. This is the purpose. 
God has joined together our lives so we can be built together into a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. And we declare this, you know, in our family declaration, I commit to live by God's Word and God's Spirit, to be devoted to worship and hosting the presence of God, to walk in unity, humility, honor, and generosity, and to love people to life. What's it mean to host the presence of God? Uh, On my Facebook feed, uh, this last week popped up a two-year anniversary because two years ago, literally this last week, we were pouring the concrete for the foundation of the worship center in which we worshiped on uh, on March 14th, and we'll be worshiping in next week uh, in the shell. Two years, and we just started by faith, not knowing how in the world we were going to complete it, but God's going to complete this work, right? But before we even put concrete down into the ground, we received a prophetic encouragement from a friend of ours, Mark DuPont, about one of the key words that have been spoken over the destiny of the Garden Church, which is we would be a place to host the presence of God. And he encouraged us to write on stones, to drop into the foundation the promises of God, many of the verses in which we'll go over this morning, but to also write the name of our family, of our children and our children's children to say, we're going to be generation after generation, a place that hosts your presence. And so we did this. You can see on that one rock there, it says, I found him who my soul loves. And uh, verse after verse was written and we prayed over them together. And then we literally dropped them in to what would be Uh, the foundation and the footings of the church as a sign that no matter what God builds through our life here, that the foundation of it would always be the priority of hosting his presence. And so when we gathered on March 14th and we gather on Easter Sunday to sing his praise, Literally, your feet are standing on a covenant promise that says God's desire is to dwell here with us. And our desire is to host his presence as our number one priority. God's number one desire from Genesis to Revelation, his heartfelt desire throughout all of history is to dwell with us. And what would happen if the number one desire of God's heart could connect with those who say, this one thing I've desired of the Lord. Many people are asking him for many, many things. But this one thing I've desired, that as he wants to dwell with me, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What would happen at that point? See, from the very beginning of time, God has shown he created us so he could dwell with us. So in the opening chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 to 3, as paradise is described in this magnificent garden that God created for humanity to enjoy, it would say that in in the cool of the day, that God would walk in the garden because in, in biblical time, it's evening, then morning one day. It means at the top of every day, he would come to visit 
Adam and Eve, and his heart would be crying out, Adam, Eve, where are you? Because he wanted to dwell with us. That was the reason for everything, is to create a place where God and man could rest together with each other. But we know the story is that Adam and Eve chose, instead of yielding to this invitation to try to become their own God and do things their own way, and sin and destruction followed, and this opportunity was missed. But God's desire, his heart be still continued to long for this. And so when he found his people in Israel, uh, Israel in Egypt, he said, I'm going to say to the most powerful king in all of the world, let my people go. And through magnificent signs and wonders and the parting of the Red Sea, he delivered uh, Israel from the hand of the Egyptians. But this was his purpose. At the end of all of these miracles and signs and wonders and magnificent provision of God, he said, and let them make me a sanctuary that I might do what? Dwell in their midst. Exodus 25 and again, Exodus 29 and then Leviticus and in Numbers and in Deuteronomy again and again and again. And just in case we didn't understand it, the whole purpose of the creation of the nation of Israel through the exodus and the coming into the land of promise was God says, I want to dwell with you like I wanted to dwell with Adam and Eve. And there were moments of great glory where the Shekinah presence of God came into the tabernacle of the, in the wilderness. And there was, a mag, there was an amazing sense of his presence there. But Israel in time chose not to honor that as its top priority and again fell into making political alliances and into seeking their own power and their own well-being and they fell away from the opportunity but God was not done yet he raised up a king named King David and he said this man is a man after my own heart and David realized as as he became king after Goliath was killed after the nation was unified he still knew that wasn't the end purpose of God this is what God wanted He writes in Psalm 132, I've come to this revelation, for the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. In the words of God, this, you people, this family, this is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it from the beginning of time. You see here, uh, an interesting definition of God's dwelling place is that it's a resting place, which means if we're too busy and active, that God doesn't tend to want to rest there. But that's another sermon about Mary and Martha. We can go into that another time. But we know that through the life of King David, God was saying, once again, I want to form a people that reflect my eternal desire. I want to be with those that I created. And there were amazing moments there uh, of all the creativity in the tabernacle of David, in, in the coming glory of God in the temple of Solomon, where so much of what God desired was fulfilled. But again, Israel turned away and fell into their own sin, and, and they were taken into exile. And uh, it seemed like all was lost, but the heart of God continued to beat. He raised up prophets in the Old Testament, and they continued to declare and articulate the desire of God. Ezekiel, prophesying in the land of captivity, looked forward, 37 chapters later, 
from where he started, but he looked forward to a time where this would be fulfilled again among God's people. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And Israel was brought back to the land, but once again, they did not fulfill the desire of God's heart. And so the culmination of the process was that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, the fullness of grace and truth. That Jesus came to say, God's desire has not been shut off from the world. He's not starting again on the planet Jupiter with another type of creation. But he says, no, you who I've created in my image, even though you have marred that image, I still desire this one thing, which is to know you face to face We've got to get beyond you knowing me just as a set of rules. We've got to get beyond you knowing me just as an ancient book, as valuable as that is. But what I desire is eye contact, face-to-face, heart-to-heart, relationship with each of you and all of you together. And so the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And through the history of the church, There have been times where we responded to this and times just like God's people of old, we've lost our focus. But this is what we know is that the culmination of all things, the last book in the last two chapters, God's going to get what his heart desires. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, at the end of all of this process, At the end of Abraham, Moses, David, the prophets, Jesus, the apostles, and the history of the church, at the end of all this, behold, the dwelling place of God is with mankind. I will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. Do you feel the heartbeat of God? the number one thing he desires. All of what he is trying to do in joining us to him, in joining our lives together, is to create a place where you and God dwell as one. This is his longing. This is his desire. And are you feeling a draw in your spirit to say, Lord, let me be part of fulfilling what your heart has desired from before eternity began. How do we host the one who wants to dwell with us? One of the most beautiful hotels in the world is uh, Monastero Santa Rosa in Italy. How many of you like that view right there? It's an amazing story about uh, how um, Bianca Sharma, uh, she was an educator, but she had a desire to create this amazing resort. And uh, she restored it from the ground up. She's the sole owner of this resort, and it's a magnificent place to be. Uh, all of that space there, it actually only has like 16 rooms. And you can have the room with that view right there if you've got the... The right credit card. (laughs) 
She saw, looked into every detail, you know, how, what's the thread count of the sheets? Where, which part of Egypt do I want this cotton from that's going to go into these sheets? You know, all the decor, all the layout, it reflects her, and she owns the whole hotel, the, the, the entire hotel. But what do you think the hospitality staff, how do you think they respond when they hear that Bianca Sharma wants to come and stay? Do you think that they just leave on the, the sheets from the previous guest? Is there trash all over the floor of, of her suite? Do they forget to wash the windows of her ocean view? Or do you think that they go through whatever it takes to make her feel at home? Because although she is the owner... They are the hosts. God owns everything. He don't need you to make his bed for him. But he wants to be hosted in our life. And if we want to be those, you know, because he owns the whole hotel. He owns every part of me. I'm, I'm bought 100% by the blood of Jesus. He owns this entire congregation. None of us are even minority stakeholders in it. It all belongs to him. But we have the privilege of hosting him. And so I don't want to leave yesterday's sheets on the bed for him. I don't want there to be a bunch of trash around the floor and say, once you come... I don't want to forget to wash the windows and somehow obscure his view. How do we respond to his desire to dwell with us? I think King David found the first step, which is we pursue God's desire, his desire above all. We pursue his desire as our one desire. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after. It's going to take my attention and effort and prioritization, right? That will I seek after, that I might dwell. He wants to dwell with me, and I want to dwell with him. That I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. The first thing I'm going to do when his presence is known is I'm going to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I'm just going to tell him how much I love him and absorb and adore who he is. And then I'm going to inquire in his temple, because i got a ton of questions for him right now. But I'm not going to start with that. I'm not going to start with trying to get from him what I need. But I want to dwell with him. I'm going to start with acknowledging who he is and appreciating that. And if we want to meet God's heartfelt desire to dwell with us, the first step is to say back to him, I want to dwell with you and make it a priority to seek that. You know, Bill Johnson writes in his book about hosting the presence, there is no greater privilege than being a host to God himself. Neither is there a greater responsibility. Everything about him is extreme. He's overwhelmingly good, awe-inspiring to the max, and frighteningly wonderful in every possible way. He is powerful yet gentle, 
gentle, both aggressive and subtle, and perfect while embracing us in the midst of our imperfection. Yet few are aware of the assignment to host him. Fewer yet have said yes. The eternal desire of the eternal God from Genesis to Revelation is that he would simply dwell with us, that we would host that relationship with him in our lives individually and our lives together. And although Bill writes that few have said yes, my heart says, Lord, if there's only a few, let me be among those few. There's only a few churches, let the garden be among those churches. But our heartfelt desire, Lord, is that it would be the many, that that you would revive the body of Christ back to the priority desire of the heart of God, and we would all be people who know how to host the presence of God and welcome his desire for us in our life. Second step is to honor him with praise and worship, to make this a priority in our personal life, in our life together. Psalm 22, verse 3 says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. That when we sing, Great are you, Lord, we lift him up and we celebrate his name, acknowledge his goodness, acknowledge his majesty, acknowledge his love in Jesus the Son. That as that praise goes up in a pure way, he actually comes and sits in our midst as king. King of kings. And Lord of Lords. See, worship is so much more than me singing about my feelings. Worship is so much more than me trying to raise a sound to reach the heavens. Worship is inviting him to come and bring heaven down and sit down in our midst as king. And I I love the movement of the angelic realm. Those of you who are sensitive to that can feel it at times in worship. And I love the sense of the movement of the Holy Spirit as he comes in and energizes and quickens a time of worship. But those to me are only signs that the king is on his way. Because what I want is for him to come and sit down in our midst. See, a king is at his most powerful, not when he's out on a field of war standing in his palace, but he's when he's sitting down on his throne. He says, I'm so powerful, I can do it all for my lazy boy. And would we be that resting place for him where he would come and be enthroned upon the praises of the people of God? Priority of praise and worship. But the third aspect of hosting God's presence will likely be our least favorite. Like seeking God, I like praise and worship. Say humility like you like it. Humility. A little more convincing. Humility. Humility. The prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah 66. The words of God. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? What temple are you going to make with human hands? 
All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to me. God created every bit of concrete that's in the new worship center. He created all the sheetrock. He created all the insulation. He created all the sound system that's going in there. What are we going to build to attract him? Because he is the maker of all things, right? That building is for us. The building he's looking for is here. And he says, but this is the one to whom I will look. This is the person who I make eye contact with. This is the people who catches my gaze. This is the one who I draw face to face. The one with the biggest smoke machine on the stage? The most thumping subwoofers going? The most professional musicians? Although I'm for that all, not so much about the smoke machine, but everything else I'm good with. (laughs) This is the one who fills my heart's desire. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. This is where I want to dwell is not with the arrogant and proud and self-assuming, but with those who are truly humbled in my presence, those who are contrite, who take responsibility for the process of transformation in their life, and those that have a deep, deep honor and respect for the word of God. The sound of heaven is confident, it is strong, and it is skilled. But it has no arrogance, insecurity, jealousy, competition, or self-promotion in it. And I believe that God wants to create a new sound of worship and release it from downtown Bakersfield, California. And it will be creative. It will be confident. It will be strong, it will be skilled, but it will not be marked by human ambition and human arrogance and jealousy among the team towards one another. See, the sign of having been with God, what is it? In the end, the true sign of having seen the face of God is an increased depth of humility not only before the Lord, but before others. When I worship before the throne of God, I truly bow before his greatness. And when I worship at the throne of the maker, I don't despise anything that he's made. Worship's a big industry in our day. But too many who claim to have had visits to heaven treat others like hell. (laughs) 
if you've really been, been in the presence of the one whose very face transforms you, how can you take a critical, arrogant attitude toward another person's worship? How can you judge an entire stream of worship for somehow not being sincere? How can you put yourself above another who's bowed before the same cross that you're bowed before? True. I I wonder who you've been looking at in your heavenly experiences because the one I know is gentle and safe. Let's have genuine experiences of being in the very presence of the one who is love himself. So church family, this is what God is doing in our midst, always but uniquely at this moment. We are being joined together and we are growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you, and that's a plural word, also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And Paul goes on and describes what's it mean to have the Spirit dwell with us, the very presence and person of God in our lives and in our midst. He encourages us to be filled again and again continually with the Spirit. And if you want to know how to be filled with the Spirit, Paul describes it then in four, word, in four uh, lines that uh, give direction to it. Be filled with the Spirit. Amen? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spirit-inspired songs. Amen? Amen. Singing and making melody to to the Lord with all your heart. Yes? Giving thanks always and for everything to God. Amen? Amen. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ah. (laughs) You're filled with the Spirit in worship as, as we address each other as we sing, as we give thanks. And, and if you're an English major or an English teacher, we have a few of those in the garden, so I'm always trying to be careful with my punctuation and my semicolons. But, but you can see here that all of those bullet points end with I-N-G. They're a participle. So they're explaining the action word fill. Addressing, singing, giving thanks. We're all about worship, right? But what about submitting? Because Paul throws that into the list in a way you can't separate it out and say, well, he's changing the subject. It is the subject. You want to be filled with the Spirit. It's not only in humility to God, but it's in humility to each other. And then the kicker, of course, is the very next verse says, the first application of this is, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ did and lay down your life for her. So if you've had a little bit of tension in your home this week, just know this, God is creating in you a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit because he's giving you the opportunity to be filled with the Spirit by putting your interests second to those of your spouse. If you're having a little challenge with with the church unfolding together and all these new people are to meet or to greet, one of the two, Know this, God is giving us an amazing opportunity to be filled with the Spirit. Because we could put my ways and my self-interest and my comfort underneath the well-being of someone else and the divine process in our lives together. To host God 
The humility required by genuine community is as important as passionate prayer and amazing worship. And God has hosted when both aspects of the Great Commission are fulfilled, that we love him with all our hearts, but also we love our neighbor as ourselves. So what would happen if the number one desire of God's heart could connect with those who say this one thing I've desired of the Lord? What if the eternal heartbeat of our creator that has sought this again and again throughout the Bible, what if the garden church would hear that heartbeat cry and desire and we would say together, Lord, of everything we could ask of you and all that we know of your grand design and plan and purpose in our life, we say we are a family of one thing first, is that we want to dwell with you. We want to host your presence. I suspect that what would emerge would be genuine revival. I commit to live by God's word and God's spirit, to be devoted to worship and hosting the presence of God, to walk in humility, unity, humility, honor, and generosity. And suddenly we realize that actually that third line, to walk in unity, humility, honor, and generosity, is actually how we do the second line, which is about hosting the presence of God. And if we do so, I believe we will love many, many, many people to life. In Jesus' name. Before I turn it over to Pastor Will, I just want to give an invitation for those of you who don't know Jesus Christ. That God loves you. He's made a way for you to be connected to him now and through eternity. And he's made it so all of us can respond. It's not based on our behavior. It's based on our believing. So we admit, we take responsibility for what we've done wrong. And we also admit we have a need for help beyond ourselves. We need God. Then we believe the good news that God sent his son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for the sin that separated me from God so that I could become a part of his resurrection life and live with God completely forgiven forever. And then we make a commitment to follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior and to grow in him. And if this is you, I want to invite you to reach out to the friend who might have brought you this morning or whoever invited you maybe to watch this podcast and say, I need to know more about making the decision to follow Jesus. Would you help me? You can also come up after church and our prayer teams will be available to see you. Uh, But may God bless you all and may God help us grow to be a family that truly knows how to host God. God bless you.